Welcome, friends. On this podcast, we talk about a lot of things, mostly prayer, but also spiritual warfare, parenting adult kids, and what it's like to be a follower of Jesus in an increasingly post-Christian world. This is a place where I share interviews with people whose lives have greatly influenced mine. They are authors, ministry leaders, people who've experienced answers to their prayers, and some who are just as baffled as I am that God's ways are not the same as ours, but all of whom can gladly shout, no matter what you're facing, God's got this. I'm Leanne McCoy, and this is my podcast. Today, I'm sharing reflections from my laughing place in the North Carolina mountains. You might hear birds chirping, chimes ringing, and the road crew working as I record because I've made my office in the gazebo where I can enjoy the rhododendron that's blooming late this year. In this episode, I'm sharing three things. A few lingering thoughts about the SBC and women, something terrible that happened at home on Monday evening, and what we're up to in the mountains this week. My prayer is that you will be encouraged and that somehow time spent with me will compel you to trust God more because you know deep in your spirit that no matter what today brings, God's got this. On the Southern Baptist Convention and women, I promised to talk about other things this week on my podcast, and I will, and I I do for the most part today. But first, I just want to share a few things I've found on different various media outlets regarding the aftermath of the Southern Baptist Convention's activity in New Orleans. In the New York Times, I read this. Caitlin Gerald, a longtime Southern Baptist who attended the meeting in New Orleans as a delegate for the first time this year, found herself profoundly discouraged by the relentless focus on questioning women and the tone of many discussions she heard on stage, but also, quote, in every coffee coffee shop I went to, every line I stood in, unquote. And might I say, if the coffee shop lines were as long as they were in Anaheim last year, I imagine she could pick up a whole lot of chatter in a coffee shop line. She walked out of a luncheon featuring an all-male panel discussion on the issue of women's leadership. The emphasis on women's roles, quote, feels like such a personal attack, unquote, she said. Mrs. Gerald, 37, said she would be personally uncomfortable belonging to a church with a female head pastor, but she had no issue with women in other leadership roles and couldn't understand the move to purge anyone who disagreed. She said she was stunned when the delegates voted for an amendment stating churches must have, quote, only men as any kind of pastor or elder as qualified by scripture, unquote. The amendment must pass again next year to go into effect, and she's already rallying her church to send a full delegation to the meeting in 2024 to vote against it. Quote, I believe in the power of prayer, and I'm fervently praying for the convention, unquote, Mrs. Gerald said. Quote, the vote next year, if that goes through, I'm not sure where we'll land, unquote. On Twitter, here's what I read. I was there, and I'm super complimentarian personally, I felt like I had been beaten with a stick over and over again. You can try to manufacture and change what happened, but many women and men left the hall feeling hurt and beaten. Some left angry and fired up. Your point of view is not mine. This was Pam Earls um, responding to someone else's comment on Twitter. 
And then on Medium, Medium is an interesting outlet for people to write articles and express their opinions. And I've actually, as I've poked around on media and um, ventured, kind of waited, I guess stuck my toe into Medium. I, I reprinted a couple of my blog posts there. Um, I, uh, it, it, um, Medium seems to, I don't know, maybe I've not ventured into it enough to get all the different aspects of it, but the the doorway that I came in feels like a very um, liberal and even hostile environment um, where people are are can be not very kind to each other. <laughs> and um, yeah, I don't know, it almost seems like a place where uh, the powers of darkness could really be used to lure people in um a very negative direction. Nonetheless, I was curious when I Googled the SBC and women about this particular article that came up and um, it does give you a taste of what I'm talking about um, as to what's out there in medium and also how powerful these comments and these things that are written can, um, you know, the impact they have, uh, the influence that they have. Anyway, here's the quote from Medium regarding SBC and women. I, for one, am loving this. I grew up in the Southern Baptist and a couple of other denominations, and the hatred that spewed toward me for the crime of being born female was a major part of what helped me escape that silly, antiquated ideology altogether. Christian misogyny may not have made an atheist of me, but it blank sure made a non-Christian of me, and that helped me open my mind to the idea that there is no God. The more these denominations oppress women and other sexual gender minorities, the more young people will walk out the door forever. I say, bring on the misogyny. Bring on the queer phobia. Let them spew it. Let them wallow in it. And let the Christian faith orchestrate its own demise. Wow. What a comment, huh? I did learn... Since um, last week's podcast that the convention passed a very long resolution basically stating that they valued women and their contribution to the church and that they were indebted to the contribution of women through the ages. And I'm talking long and thorough <laughs> resolution. But as Tom was reading the resolution to me, I have to tell you that my stomach felt like it did the night that I was traveling north from Birmingham on Interstate 65 with my then year old daughter. I was pregnant with her sister and I was just beginning to get that you better eat quick feeling that serves as an alarm to inevitable nausea that came in the early stages of pregnancy for me. When we finally got to the Cracker Barrel at the Athens, Alabama exit where I'll go in to the bathroom to change a dirty diaper and someone else had just thrown up in the, in the toilet area. Yeah, that's what came to my mind when Tom read me the resolution that the SBC made valuing women. It sounded to me like the convention wanted to assure us that they value our giftedness and even our call to ministry so long as we stay in our place. A place where we can do what the men can do in that same place, simply just not called a pastor. I don't know what to do with the SBC. I know there's a cultural battle waging against the church that we must, we must stand firmly against. I don't know. I don't want what is wrong to be celebrated as right. 
I don't like litter boxes in the bathrooms of high schools to accommodate the children who think they are cats. But I do think it's important for God's people, organized for his glory, to reflect his heart, his mind, and his support of women that he has called to serve him in vocational ministry. Thousands of women already fight inner voices telling them they'll never measure up. It sure would be nice if the men surrounding them would celebrate their calling rather than suppress it. That's enough said on that subject for now. Now let's get on to chickens, ducks, and titan. We have chickens and ducks in our backyard, or at least we did have chickens and ducks. We nursed them from babies to teenagers these past few months, and because we lost four chickens to our husky last fall, we worked smarter this time. Our ducks, Bubbles, a pecking, pecking, I think you say, and Pepper, a ruin, rowan, I'm not, I'm not up on my duck breeds. Anyway, Bubbles was beautiful white, the typical duck you think of when you see a duck, and Pepper was brown with beautiful blue feathers that decorated his wing, her wings. I kept thinking of Pepper as a boy, but she was a girl. All of our babies we thought were girls. Anyway, Bubbles and Pepper enjoyed a special kinship with a buff Orpington chicken named Bianca. Now, I'd heard that ducks imprinted on their owners, but ours imprinted on each other and Bianca. They were so fun to watch with all their quacking and their swimming and their splashing and their putting mud into every ounce of clean water we had in the coop. They, their little bodies grew gigantic quickly where their body severely outgrew their teeny little wings that they'd flap as if they were giants. But this summer, their wings grew up, and when we'd let them out of the sleeping coop, they would flap those wings and create a wind tunnel in the, in the, in the pen. They were personable, and they'd quack as soon as we came out the back door of the house as if to say, hey, we love that arugula you pitched in here yesterday. Would you please come and give us some more today? The chicken flock was made up of three buff Orpingtons, two red la- or golden-laced wine dots, and one extra special blue silver-laced wine dot that we named Nola. She turned out to be Noland when he started cock-a-doodle-doodling. Thunder and Bestia um, were the golden-laced wine dots. They were beautiful chickens that were black with golden lacing all over them. And the other two buff Orpingtons were named Fifi and Lily. So we have Bianca, Fifi, and Lily. The entire flock engaged the entire family. All of us fed them, helped clean the pond, which was a plastic kiddie pool. Um, We sprinkled mealy worms out for them to pick up from the ground. We plucked dill and cilantro and arugula as a special treat from our garden. And Tom even tore his ACL in his knee building the coop and dog-proofing it, titan-proofing it. He ended up having surgery that he is actually still recuperating from. John, my daughter Michael's boyfriend, was even engaged in the project as he was creating or engineering a drain system so that we could empty the duck pond water out of the little kiddie pool into the garden and then keep fresh water in the pool all the time. 
of all the things we've done as a family, the fowl farming has been the project that everyone has participated in and enjoyed. Our main goal this round was Titan proofing the chicken coop and Titan proof we did for three months. Monday night, Titan dug out of the fence around our pool where he and our golden doodle named Callie have taken up residence since we became chicken and duck farmers. I've had to sacrifice my back screened porch to the fowl farm as it's turned into a doghouse, but that's beside the point. Our escape artist, Siberian Husky, got out of the pool fence and into the coop where he performed a mass slaughter killing everyone. I can't imagine the squawking and squalling that must have gone on. Of course, none of us were at home to witness it. The best we can tell, Titan didn't dig his way into the coop. He simply walked right in through the gate. It was an accident. The latch was undone on the gate. Most likely a couple of the chickens and or the ducks pushed the gate open, started parading about in the backyard, and Titan couldn't stand it. He made a way where there was no way, and there was no turning back. You know what surprised me? When I heard about the devastation, my first thought was what a tragic loss this was for my 12-year-old granddaughter, Misty, who is our chief fowl farmer. <laughs> and then, then I wanted to blame God. Yep, I wanted to blame God. He could have kept this from happening, couldn't he? I mean, he's God for goodness sakes. And if only we could simply have this little snippet of joy in our lives where we deal with so many other heavy heavy burdens. It seems to me like the almighty ruler of the universe who creates such cool animals as chickens and ducks and husky dogs could keep them separated in our backyard and let us enjoy them. But no, he didn't choose to intervene and my granddaughters have to own the regret of not shutting the gate well. The ducks and chickens paid with their lives and Titan, the gentle giant chicken and now duck killing dog, has more sins on his record than even Jesus can save him from. I know people who are dealing with a son whose seizures have left him living a tortured existence that their entire family orbits around. I know a young man with small children who has stage four cancer and a young mother who has a stepson she's convinced is demon possessed, a little boy behaving terribly out of untold horrors in his background. And just yesterday, one of my friends lost his sister unexpectedly when she collapsed in rehab isn't rehab where you get better? Certainly not the place you go to die. And knowing all those things, I choose the chickens and ducks to be what makes me angry with God. What makes me add to my grief the load of picking up an offense against God? It's rooted in believing he can do all things. God is all powerful. My anger was rooted in understanding that he is ultimately acquainted with the details of my life. Why wouldn't it be God's fault? Doesn't his ability to divert tragedy and his unwillingness to do so make him somehow responsible for it? These are the real questions of our faith, aren't they? Then wouldn't you know it, God gave me a devotion from Priscilla Shire's book, Awaken, based on the biblical account of the servant girl who told Naaman's wife about the prophet whose God could heal him of leprosy. In this devotion, Priscilla wrote these things. There's really no situation in your life that is beyond his redeeming power. Not even one. Huh. How would God redeem this foul fiasco? 
How is he redeeming that suffering boy's seizures, that father's cancer, that mother's home, and that family's tragic loss? Priscilla's devotion went on to say, everything that happens to you is either ordained by God or allowed by God. Even the outpouring of evil that touches your life must first pass through his loving fingers before it intersects with you. Somehow, he funnels it all toward a glorious outcome for your good in which his name is made great and his purposes are served. Huh. Reminds me of a statement I made in Spiritual Warfare for Women. Every attack from the enemy brings with it a divine invitation from the heart of God to know by experience what love does. It's so easy to forget that when the ducks and chickens lay dismembered with a guilty yet satisfied dog under our trampoline. Or when the seizure racks his fragile frame, stealing yet more brain cells that used to function normally. Or the scans come back showing that cancer got the edge over those prayers for miracle healing. Did you know that the servant girl was a little Israelite whose God let her down? Her people were conquered by the wicked king Aram, and her mistress's husband Naaman was a soldier in his army. Scripture tells us that God allowed Aram to have victory over Israel, so this little girl, through no fault of her own, had her life disrupted, and she landed in this home with these people in this foreign land. Yet, Priscilla writes, not only did her faith and courage eventually lead this pagan soldier to testify, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. But even Jesus, centuries, centuries later, in testifying of him, himself as Messiah, pointed back to this healing of Naaman, sparked into action by a little captive girl, as proof of his radical love and ministry to the Gentiles. In my prayer time, I'd already heard God tell me that I needed to consider the way I carry my offenses like little badges stitched in, onto a sash. He let me know that when I haul around the pain and suffering caused by serving him or dwell on the ways he's apparently let me down, I'm focusing on me, not him. And when I focus on me, not him, I'm worshiping the wrong God. And when I worship the wrong God, I get confused about what is and what is not good. And when I get confused about what is and what is not good, I'm deceived. And when I'm deceived, I end up missing the life he has for me. Priscilla said all this much better than me when she wrapped her devotion up with this. So today, if your current circumstances are not what you ever imagined they'd be, if your dreams have been dashed and your expectations unmet, if you've been taken captive by life as if kidnapped into an unfamiliar reality that you'd rather escape, and if you can't understand why anything like this should be happening to you, remember, God has a sovereign plan and you are part of it. This little girl could not have known the significance of her capture in the grand scheme of Yahweh's sovereign agenda, and neither can you. But if you'll trust him, accepting what you can't understand, you'll see he has only diverted you onto the center stage of his will. Wow. Our entire flock was wiped out. My granddaughters, both of them, suffer the loss, as do we all. One of them has to reconcile their negligence and the factor it played. All of us have decided, have to decide whether or not Titan is innocent due to his nature or guilty as charged and what we ought to do about it. Misty told me yesterday that Titan's instinct is more powerful than his brain. 
So I guess we've forgiven him. And the greater question is if he can or cannot coexist with our foul farming desires. And then we have to let God be God and us be us without having to have all the answers to all our questions, knowing that somehow in the great big scheme of things, he's good. And that in his goodness, he allowed this. And in allowing this, something good is going to come from it. Of course, we can also call that nonsense and just part ways and choose not to believe in a loving creator who knows best and loves right and works it all together in the end. We can choose to bulldoze our way through life on our own terms, based on our own merit and use our own understanding. But when it's more than chickens and ducks, when it's a son or a father or a sister or a spouse, and we are left in the wake of something we can't undo, that we can't understand, that we wonder how we'll ever get through, we need him. We need power and love and hope and sense that comes from God, who is good when I don't feel good, who knows what he's doing when I don't have a clue. Maybe you don't, but I do. And thirdly, on spending time at my laughing place in the North Carolina mountains. This all happened while Tom and I are in the mountains at our laughing place. We're enjoying cool weather, lots of rain, and the restoring of our souls that comes with whatever that smell is that fills my heart with joy the minute I get out of the truck. (laughs) We've neglected our little sanctuary these past few years. We used to have help with my parents who'd come up work in the yard and all around the nearly 100-year-old farmhouse. But they've not been able to come as often as we'd like for them to. And we realized this weekend that our azaleas and rhododendron aren't going to tend to themselves. If we don't get after our weeds and if we don't prune our plants, they will run amok. They actually already have. So I got after the azaleas the other day and I tore into what looked like poison ivy on steroids. I didn't break out, though, because I wore clothes over every inch of my body and washed thoroughly with dial soap within 20 minutes of finishing my project. The result, though, of my severe pruning of the azaleas looks terrible right now. But I'm hopeful that come next spring, those azaleas will thank me for what they can only consider sabotage today. Hmm. 